Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Circle Sanctuary Network Podcasts, brought to you by Circle Sanctuary, one of the oldest nature spirituality churches in the United States, connecting people of nature center paths around the world. Join us through the week for a variety of shows discussing various topics, celebrating the divine in all of its forms, through nature worship, rituals, education, and building bridges of community. Welcome to Nature Spirituality with Selena Fox. We are exploring ancestor stories tonight, and I'm going to share some of my own experiences as well as things I have learned along the way as good techniques for connecting with your ancestors by learning about their lives, by learning about their cultures, their faith traditions, um, the nations where they made their home, and some other information and ways of being able to create narratives, written, video, audio, um, oral histories, as well as uh, putting together materials of Ancestor Stories is part of your sacred work with ancestors. I invite you, whether you're tuning in live on CSNP or tuning in live on my live stream to my Selena Fox Updates Facebook page, or you're listening later to connect with the ancestors in your own way as I do a chant. Ancestors, we call to you. Ancestors, we honor you. Ancestors, we remember you. passed on to you 
ways of enhancing, enriching, elaborating, and expanding on the stories that have come to you. The things that I share about tonight can be used for other types of ancestors research. So if you're interested in learning about peoples that once lived in and around the area where you are, some of the same techniques that I'm sharing about family ancestors tonight can be used to do those explorations. And for ancestors of spiritual traditions, it also can apply for them. How to go about getting ancestor stories? I think the very first thing to do is to find a way to pull together the information, the stories, the heirlooms, the photographs, the letters, other things connected with ancestors and start working with what you have already. A really powerful way of being able to do that is to do your own writing down of stories that have been shared with you. Perhaps it's from a living relative or perhaps if it's someone who has now crossed over to the other world, I, you may have had some direct communication, for example, with a grandparent or great-grandparent, and actually can set down things that you remember from direct encounters with someone in your family that has now gone to the realm of the ancestors. Each of us, has the opportunity by exploring ancestor stories to enhance not only our understanding of a particular ancestor or ancestral line, or it might be a whole ancestral community that you have connections with, not only to build better understanding of those you descend from, but it's also a way of evolving your own personal identity. I first started looking at ancestor stories as a young girl. I had a very vivid dream, and it seemed to be in Scotland, and it was an old home in Scotland overlooking uh, some water, and I shared this story with my grandparents who were alive at the time, and my grandmother told me that most likely I had dreamed of a place associated with one of my ancestral lines in Scotland. And so I was about nine years old at that time. Well, years later, I actually was able to make a journey to that place. It was still standing and meet a very, very distant relative and learn more about that particular line through visiting. 
So ancestor stories can come from those who are alive, we interface with. They can come from dreams. They may come from some um, awareness as you're reading about a particular era or place, and then you discover an ancestral name, an ancestral uh, tradition as part of that. So one of the wonderful things about ancestor stories, there are many ways of doing research and compiling information. There are three different what I call forms of ancestor stories. And one approach is to work on collecting information and stories as much as you can find out of a particular ancestor. Another approach is to research an ancestor line, and that typically involves looking at surnames uh, my particular surname back through time, and not only looking at those you directly descend from or have been adopted into a family that have that surname, but as you make your way back in time, you may come to understand a whole lot of things about the line as a whole. You can look at patterns and connections through a particular family line. A third approach is to really take a look at culture connected with an ancestor line or ancestor you are connected with. You may not have the specific name of an ancestor, and you might not even have all the surnames that have connections with a particular culture you are looking to check out. but. Um, it's a really good start to be able to start researching ancestors in that way. In my own family ancestral research, on my father's side, I have Scottish and English and Irish and Welsh. And going back further, there is Norse and Swedish and a whole host of other uh, cultures and nations that have been part of heritage, ancestral heritage coming through my father's side. On my mother's side, there's connections with old Germany and the Shenandoah National Park area in Virginia as well as oral history about Native American heritage. And I have many strands of ancestral culture and ethnicity that I've come to learn about as I have done family research. So early on, I started talking with living relatives about family history and even did some recordings way back when, uh, which I still have to this day. As I have grown in this life, I have found a variety of ways of gathering information, and I've continued to
to do oral histories. In more recent times, I seek to video them. So I not only have audio, but I have video. And then I attempt uh, by reviewing the materials I've gathered to set it down in a written form, which is easier for many people to work with. So a good way to begin is to create a notebook or a file on your computer to set up a way that you can start making notes and compiling materials of what you already know. What do you know about your parents and where they grew up and what stories have passed down to you from your parents and perhaps they had stories that passed on and you might have letters that have been written to you or written to some other relative that actually has details about family history that way. And you might have relatives that have actually done a family tree chart. All of that can be really helpful. One very important technique that I suggest from the very beginnings of you doing family history research and story crafting is to make a note of where you get your information from. So, yes, some people choose to use footnotes. Some have a genealogical database that they build their family tree in, and some will make a note after each point of information where it came from. I have a master list of my ancestral resources in addition to noting the different bits of information that I've been able to gather and where the source is there. I use a more shorthand of the name of the source and the year it was published or if it's oral history, the name of the person I interviewed and the date that that oral history was compiled. And then the complete list, I have a lot more details, and sometimes including if it's a reference work and I have to be at a reference library where I happen to locate that. When you look at sources for ancestor stories, you have primary sources. Primary sources are those that you've connected with directly. In addition to oral histories, there are census records, there's records of birth and death, there's marriage records, and it's important that if you're working with a primary source that you make a note of where you got it and what the source is. There are also what's known as secondary sources. Secondary sources tend to be compilations of materials that have been put together by someone doing family history. Or it might be a local history book that then has a whole variety of references that are used in compiling a family history. I've come to learn about my Fox family ancestry 
which is on my mother's father's side, in a variety of ways. There's been some oral history, and I continue to gather that from living relatives. But because my Fox family line lived in an area that is known as Fox Hollow, which is now part of the Shenandoah National Park in Virginia, I've been able to gather some stories about my ancestors and about the community that they were part of living on that land before eminent domain um, had them and several other families leave that area and so that the place could be turned into a park. So I've been able to look at the Shenandoah National Park guidebook for the Fox Hollow Trail and get some information that way. There's a cemetery that was part of the homestead for my Fox ancestors, and I've been able to visit that. Unfortunately, as with the case of many old cemeteries, sometimes they aren't kept up, and sometimes the type of stones that are used for grave markers are not made of the best materials. There has been some cemetery tending over the years, not just now that it's part of a national park, but some relatives, um, some descendants from the Fox family that lived on that land have gone and done some special events there through the Park Service um, permissions and, and that type of thing and actually have done some tending to that cemetery, and I'm very happy to report on that. So being able to gather information from local history, from site visits, all of this can be really helpful. When I went to research that part of my heritage, I've made several different trips over the years as I've gone back to visit living relatives in Virginia, D.C., Maryland, and vicinity. And I've gone to some museums in the area that, while they might not have artifacts specifically that my ancestors used, they have materials that date from the time period and from the locale. And I've gone on tours. I've talked to people who are keepers of old maps. I've gone to historical societies as well as museums. And it's amazing how much information you can find through in-person visits. Now, I started doing genealogical research um, when I was very young, and then um, in the 1990s, I started really delving into genealogical research in a very focused kind of way, going to archives and going to libraries and looking at microfish film and a whole variety of different things. I've been to the National Archives and the National Genealogical Society Library that was in Northern Virginia for a time before it relocated. Well, I'm happy to report that a lot of the materials that I had to travel quite a bit to get 
have gone online in various databases. So it may not be necessary for you to actually go to a local area in order to get some information. Many cemeteries are now publishing their records online, and that can be a big help. I know for Circle Cemetery, which is the the cemetery that's part of Circle Sanctuary Nature Preserve, we have an online directory specifically so people can connect with whose remains, memorial marker, tokens of remembrance, who's being remembered at Circle Cemetery. And we are linked up with a number of other cemetery databases, including one known as Find a Grave, which can be really helpful. There is a lot of information out on the Internet, and that is, can be really helpful as you look for facts and information about a particular ancestor or ancestral line. But it's really important as you gather things online that you also find out where that material came from. Just because it's online doesn't necessarily mean it's true or completely true. And one of the whole things, uh, whole, I guess, challenges about those looking for ancestors that go back in time before record keeping was um, really what it is today in many places is that uh, not everybody spelled a surname the same way. And when you have people traveling from one country to another as they enter the new country for them, whoever is making record of them may or may not have the best spelling and may not um, actually have legible handwriting. So there's, I would suggest those of you who are really interested in exploring surname history, for example, to not just go with the spelling of the surname that is presently, most recently in your own family line, that you also look at what some people call the soundex. What does it sound like? Um, that some databases are soundex um, um, friendly. So whatever it sounds like, you'll get a bunch of information, even if the name is spelled differently. And, and so part of what I've done over time is I keep a list of surnames, and as I discover variations on the spelling of the surnames, I have added them to my master list. That way, when I encounter some new database or website or archives, which I haven't checked before, I not only can check for a particular ancestor or ancestor line by the spelling that I'm used to, but I can run other spellings in the mix. And often, that actually proves to be very helpful. In addition to working with primary and secondary sources, I want to talk a bit about artifacts. And you may, um, I have uh, strong Celtic roots, and uh, 
wheat weavings. There's a kind of folk art that you'll find in England and Wales and some other parts of Europe. So part of how I've come to understand some of my Celtic heritage is to research folk art, even if I don't know specifically my particular line may have worked with that folk art or not, often that serves as a key to unlock some information about folk customs and folk ways. I learned on my mother's side that, my mother's mother's side, I have Pennsylvania Dutch ancestry, which means German-speaking Swiss. And I've always liked Pennsylvania Dutch folk art, and I have an example of the oak hex sign. They're often called hex signs because many have a six-pointed star as part of the configuration. However, hex signs have a variety of different geometrical patternings. The, the oak has an equal arm solar cross as well as another one over top it. So essentially you've got the eight spokes of the wheel of the year for pagans um, in my mighty oak hex sign reproduction that I have. When I visited Lancaster, Pennsylvania, I not only sought out a place that I knew was connected with my Keller line of my mother's mother's ancestry, but I looked in shops for books about the German-speaking Swiss who came to the area in the 1700s. I happened to connect with a very distant cousin through some internet research who was able to actually go to Switzerland and go into church records, and because he was multilingual, he was able to translate from the German and put the family tree information in a book about the Kellers from that part of Virginia, which was extremely helpful for me. So being able to work with artifacts and art, things that have been passed down family lines to you can be really amazing. And if you are gifted some type of heirloom, or if you've already had this happen, or if you think one's going to be coming to you, one of the things that I would suggest that you do is make a little note and who gave you the item and a little bit about its story and using some tape that's secure but won't damage the artifact, um, actually affix it to it. I um, have gotten some furniture passed down through family lines, and I actually put my little note about the ancestral heritage of each piece of furniture actually underneath the furniture where it's not visible, but it's securely there. And then I do a more um, well-rounded um, explanation of where a piece of furniture came from or where a piece of jewelry um, came from and link it with a particular ancestor and transmission. 
Uh, language can be a challenge uh, when an ancestral line is speaking a language different than what you have learned. However, there are now translation software, and some works are actually being translated um, through some cyber ways. Uh, and I do think being able to not only track ancestors that you're connected with in the country where you now reside, but if you're able to go back in time and find some names and place names of ancestors and place names, you may be able to connect with a wide range of information. Now, what do you do if you hit what some people call a dead end or a block or the line just stops? Well, I would not just give up on it. Um, I have some lines I'm still trying to sort out, and because some of my ancestors lived in parts of the USA on the East Coast, which uh, were subjected to various types of, of challenges. Sometimes courthouses burned down or records got flooded and destroyed that way. Um, there are some gaps in some of the things that I'm hoping to fill in those gaps in some way. So I do think that if you feel stumped about something, uh, you don't necessarily just have to give up at that point. Just um, put out, uh, we'll talk about ancestor altars and ancestor rituals and ancestor places in some other podcasts in this series, but there's some ways to at least call on some spiritual support and sometimes amazing synchronicities happen as you work with ancestors. So what is an ancestor story? It's a tale that is about some part of an ancestor's life, or it might be the story of the whole life. And I have been working on what I call life stories of some of my own ancestors over time, and I make a note of when I have updated a narrative. What I endeavor to do is to have the name of the ancestor at the top and then the year of birth, if known, year of death, if known, and then start out the narrative with some basic information. Um, and you may have an actual birth date and a birth location. That can be really helpful. Put in some of the facts, and then as you develop the story, you can share not only things that you've heard and learned about that ancestor, but as part of your own spiritual work and connection, you may want to share some impressions or some theories. It is important that if you're creating an ancestor story that you distinguish what is fact-based and what is speculation. And in talking about the ancestor storybooks, often surname books, 
not all the time are the sources listed, and just because it's in print, just like just because it's on the Internet, doesn't mean it's accurate. So it's really important to do some cross-checking as much as possible as you look for dates that anchor certain points in an ancestor's life. Sometimes I have found several different years of birth for an ancestor, and what I endeavored to do in my records is to note which source each of the year variations are and then make a guess and say, all right, I'm going with this year, but here are some alternative ones. And I put that information in my not only facts compilation, but in writing a narrative that can be really helpful. You may find it really exciting to look at fictional stories set in the era of a particular ancestor and a particular location where an ancestor you're descended from has dwelled. I've been tracking down stories on my father's father's line um, for many years. And one of the things that was a story that I came to learn about actually came from a family crest that is still in the possession of my family. It had been passed down for several generations. A version of it um, is here on this badge, and I'm descended from the Bissett clan in Scotland, or the House of Bissett, which has an oak tree that's re-sprouting, um, some oak leaves. It's an oak tree that's been cut down, and it's growing green again. And the family motto, it grows green again and again. I actually have used this symbol not only on a personal level for my ancestral work, but as I've developed as a priestess of nature religion, I have used that image to represent what I see as the rebirth of pagan spirituality in contemporary times. Like a mighty oak that's been cut down, it is still alive and it's replenishing itself. I had occasion to delve through some books about Norman Scottish history and found a family story about my theory is that's how the symbol came to be, was that there were some challenges long ago, about a thousand years ago, and emerging from that, the family rebirthed itself. Now, one of the things about my particular uh, descent from the clan known as Bissett is that in the Scottish system, the land passed on to the eldest son when people had land back then, and it, there seems to have been multi-generations a lot of females born in business life, and I have two sisters, no brothers, um, and 
Uh, it certainly has happened more recently. And as a result, a lot of family land and um, heirlooms and everything were passed on into other Scottish clans. So um, long ago, it was a strong clan then, but it became a sept of another clan. So if you're looking at Scottish ancestry, something to keep in mind is that if you don't find anything for a particular Scottish surname, you may need to look at uh, some information about Scottish clans and look at sets, which are families that have then gone under an umbrella clan name. Mine uh, went into the Fraser clan. It's probably the one that's most commonly given. So here are some examples of some things that I have done. I not only have done the oral history and continue to do that, but I've gone online and I've visited actual ancestral sites. And what I endeavor to do when I do an ancestor story is to have a block of time, of clear time and space. I have the materials that are connected with a particular ancestor that I'm going to be writing about. And I block out time to just totally focus on that and put down as much as I can about the story of that particular ancestor. I've been able to fill in the gaps by learning about immigration and migration patterns during the time when the ancestor was alive. And some of the records that have been really helpful for me besides census records, but also looking at military records, church or religious institution records, school records. There's many different institutions that track things. If you have an ancestor that owned property, chances are there will be some records connected with that property, and you may even be able to find a map and locate where the property was and to go visit that as well. Another thing that you may want to do is to have a conversation with some living relatives and record the conversation, to actually have discussion with others. And for some people who might be a bit camera shy, they might find an audio recording to so get your voice memo on your smartphone activated, but make sure people know that you're using your electronic uh, note taker and are okay with that. Sometimes the act of having a conversation in a small group of people starts activating um, memories, and it can be really fabulous to get some family stories that way. How to pull family members together to get some stories. Often families will gather at particular occasions. It might be around a birth, a celebration for a birth, a marriage or a death. It can be more awkward at a death because people are in a variety of different states of grief typically, but um, one of the things that can be really powerful is to collect the 
stories and to listen to the stories that are told about a relative that is crossed over and to have so many different people that are gathering about um, honoring that person's life, you may find that some pieces of information surface as well as some items that people have brought for displays to honor a particular person. I really can't say enough good things about local history resources. Being able to go to a local museum in the area where an ancestor has been or to visit them online depending on how well funded they are and how much information they have. Um, but also being able to be part of, of events that are sponsored in an area that really bring together people to talk about local history. So going to a festival, I have some Swiss heritage and I've gone to some Swiss festivals in Wisconsin, even though I do not know of any ancestors that actually lived in Wisconsin, uh, but there's a lot of heritage about Swiss culture over time that I've been able to learn about as a result of taking part in festivals. I also think that being able to visit displays, art exhibits, museum displays, really taking a look at a particular um, time in history and a particular culture. I went uh, to visit a Yuletide display pre-pandemic at a town that had Norse settlement and a lot of Scandinavian artifacts, not just from Norway, but some nearby lands were all gathered, and what I was able to find out about Norse and Swedish ancestry as I visited this wonderful Yuletide special exhibit and got to see some old folk art that had been preserved. And as someone who studies celebrating the seasons and teaches about it and incorporates old folkways and seasonal celebration work that I do, I found it really fascinating to actually be at a place where all this information was gathered in one place. So what are some other ways of being able to work with ancestor stories? I think that being able to do a meditation and reach out to your ancestor or ancestral line or ancestral culture as part of that meditation to allow your intuitive side to make that link with the ancestral realm and pay attention to what surfaces. Now, there's a lot of different things that can come to play when you do a meditative working, an inner journey, and it may not necessarily 
pertains specifically to a particular ancestor that you're seeking to get information about, but the idea of not only collecting ancestral stories through actual research and fact-based research, but to intuitively connect with an ancestor and ancestral heritage through meditation, through altars, um, through rituals, can really help you have a multifaceted way of having that information together. Ideally, you are aligning yourself with a particular ancestor or ancestral current, as I often call it. And when you have connected with an ancestral current, it's amazing what kind of inspiration can come to you as well as connections. Sometimes, seemingly out of the blue, things might manifest. Uh, one of the things that I did when I went to Scotland for the first time, and I, was, I went there as part of a side trip from an academic conference I was speaking at in England, and this is back in the mid-1990s. But when I got to Scotland, I thought it was really um, wonderful to look at tartans. And I uh, got some tartans for some of the family lines I know I'm descended from. And I have used the tartan as a link to deepen my understanding with the family line and to resonate. Now, some of the tartans that exist today are um, ones that have come into being more recently, but you can still use them as a kind of key to connect you with that. Um, I'd like to say a, a bit about Native American ancestral research. Uh, much more complicated since there were many, many tribes before much European contact and before any European um, contact. And each tribe having its own language and ways of being. And unfortunately, some of that knowledge has disappeared. There were attempts to eradicate language and culture, unfortunately. And if you have oral family history, which is what has been passed down to me on my mother's father's side, you may or may not be able to easily verify it. And part of that has to do with what happened as the first peoples of America interfaced with those who came later from um, Europe. However, I have been able to visit a number of intertribal places and learn more about Native peoples in the particular region that I supposedly have ancestors from. If you are on a tribal register, you're going to have an easier time of being able to track some things. But uh, not everybody has 
that. In fact, the line I'm connected with, those did pretty much head out in the mountains in Virginia and did not um, get relocated and attempted to pass as white. So that is a much more complicated thing, made even more complicated when the state government in the early part of the 20th century changed designations in the records. So you're either white or colored and all that other information disappeared. So I do think that if you have some Native American ancestry and you have the name of a particular tribe that you are descended from, my recommendation would be to connect with a Native American studies department at a major university or a museum that is really good at um, archiving materials. The Smithsonian Museum of the American Indian is an excellent resource. It was created with the help of elders and lore keepers and leaders from a number of different Native American tribes and nations, not only in the USA, but of other parts of the America. So if you're interested in tracking that, um, that's an excellent resource. And then there are resources in the forms of films and music and, and books, factual books as well as fictional books that may talk about a people and give you a chance to really immerse yourself in that. If you have a chance to go to any type of living history museum, that can be really helpful um, to, to be able to go and experience things. I learned um, quite a bit about some of my ancestors who were from England in the 1600s when I went to college at the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. It was actually a place called Colonial Williamsburg. And one of the things I really appreciate about that resource, which is this huge living history museum, is as a growing awareness has come in our society about the important contributions of people of many different ethnic, racial, and cultural backgrounds, the living history accounts that are part of that place have been updated. So, ancestor stories, write them down, make a record, and even if you don't consider yourself an excellent writer, set them down in some way and find a way to share what you've gathered with others. Some say a powerful way to end to honor our ancestors is to keep their memory alive and to share their stories. And you can set them down not only to share with people that share descent or connection with an ancestor or ancestor line, but there are now a variety of different ancestral databases and archives where you can share information that way as well. 
I continue to be open to new information about each of my ancestors as well as ancestors as a whole. I have a whole set of loose leaf notebooks with sleeves in them with papers that I photocopied in different places as well as family tree charts. And I do think if you're keeping your records electronically, I strongly recommend that you also find a way to give it printed form, actual form, and to not just rely on a single copy, but to have your materials in more than one location. And that can be a really a wonderful thing, not only to pass on to future generations. In my case, I don't have children in this life. Uh, both my sisters do. So I share information I have with the next generation that way. I told my parents uh, when they were alive, I said, well, I don't have any grandchildren for you, but I've got ancestors. And that's been one of the wonderful things that I've discovered over time is how every connection with an ancestor and not that every ancestor needs to have it all together. Most people have some colorful characters in their family tree, but being able to recognize self beyond the particular incarnation we are, recognize self as part of a continuum of family, and being able to evolve things within one's own life. I have really happy memories of being able to go with my parents in the final years of their lives to some ancestral places they had no idea they were connected with. I had done the research, and we did some field trips, including to a wildlife preserve in the greater Washington, D.C. area that we had to get special permission from the Park Service to go in there because it had been used um, for military exercises. So there were some unexploded munitions in some parts of the place. They're cleaning it up and turning it into a wildlife preserve um, and making it safer for more people to go and visit it. But I was actually able to track down a family graveyard um, in that wildlife preserve and even get a park uh, official to open the lock gates and guide us there. So be aware that there's a lot of amazing things you can do to explore the stories of other lives, of ancestors you're connected with. I do think having a way to share the story of an ancestor, even if it's just a part of their life, is a way to strengthen your memory about that as well as to honor the ancestor by sharing of the life. And I give thanks to all the ancestors that we have called that have come to be with us today. Ancestors, we give thanks. We give thanks. We give thanks. 
continue to be in our lives in ways that we can celebrate you, learn from you, in ways that we can grow and learn and bring blessings, not only in the here and now, but for future generations. So be it. So I have a variety of of podcasts that I've done over time on different aspects of ancestral work. And this particular series I'm doing in 2022 is a five-part series. I invite you to begin your journey if you haven't done so already. And you may want to get some kind of book Um, I like spiral-bound books where you can take notes of things that you learn, inspirations that come to you. And, yes, if you are able to gather some photographs of ancestors, um, certainly those that um, you're researching before photography became became a thing, um, you might get some illustrations, though uh, most people... I did not have that as an option, but photographs and photographs of ancestral places can be really good points for weaving a story around. And I hope as we move in our lives that we can strengthen our understanding of the interconnectedness that we have with our ancestors, and with all of life, and that we can be part of a way of sharing about those who have gone before and to keep alive some folk wisdom, folk traditions that can be helpful and enriching for our personal lives and lives of others. Thank you all who have joined me live via CSNP, our Circle Sanctuary Internet Radio. Thanks to all of you who have joined me through the Selena Fox Update uh, Facebook live stream. And thanks to all of you who will be joining us later. So ancestral magic, ancestral blessings, ancestral spirits, we celebrate the ancestors. So be it. Hear a song of time gone by The ancient ones are calling out And they sing a song of old And their words will carry song will carry us home hear a song of time gone by the ancient ones are calling out and they say 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.